Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. You are listening to your host, Will Davis Coleman, and I am joined by my co-host... Patrick Courtney, your dear friend. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Patch. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very excited we're starting this. This is great fun. I know. It's so exciting that we're finally here and ready to go. Yeah, we've talked about this doing this for a while now. <laughs> we have indeed. We have indeed. So, Patrick, why are we, uh, why are we on the airwaves today then? So... You and I have been friends for quite a number of years now. Um, we met at uni, um, at Manchester Uni, and you were doing history at the time. And as far as I can remember, we spent most of our time talking about what you were learning on your course. We rarely talk about what I learned on my course because it was less interesting. But all the history stuff you learned, we I remember like hours we'd just talk about something to do with the Middle Ages or Templars or whatever you were learning back then. And we've kind the of just days. kept doing that for, for as many years as I've known you. We just like talking about history. So we thought it would be a great idea to turn this into a podcast. and So that like strangers can listen to our conversations. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. self-important. We, we think our conversations are that good that we thought other people might enjoy it. Or it's just other people who like talking about history. I think a lot of our friends didn't like, you know, or our girlfriends got a bit bored of us talking about um, history so much. So... This way, people can choose to listen to us if they want to. Yeah, I like that. I like how you put it. That's exactly true. Um, so, uh, as our title suggests, we won't just be focusing on any history. We'll actually be focusing on assassinations through history. Yes. Now, we don't just like assassinations in history as per se, but we also are uh, pretty big fans of the Assassin's Creed game as well. And yeah, we that's kind started, of... That's yeah. where we kind of got the idea for this. And actually, what we liked about the game so much, which is kind of dropped off a bit over time um it's been the real history like the the fact that they really did dive into history and although it is kind of a fantasy world of and a version of it the history of those games is really cool and really like inspired us i mean the games came out when we were quite young i imagine it certainly did push me towards liking history more when i was younger and so we thought we can look into some really interesting assassinations through through time and across the world because there's some really crazy weird ones that I feel like we don't. A lot of them don't get any um, press. Pre- press. Yeah. yeah, that's one way to put them. <laughs> or you don't learn about them in school too much. Maybe because they're a bit, you know, a bit morbid. So we're going to do a six-episode mini-series starting today, um, and we'll be jumping back and forth between us, um, who's sort of leading the episode and who who will be telling the other one about the cool assassination they've found out about. Yeah, and so the very first one today will be with me leading, and it'll be on the Assassin's Creed original game and the history behind the Masyaf assassins. Also, you can find us on Instagram at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, where we will share updates and images relating to each weekly episode, so check it out. Yeah, there's some really cool visual stuff that we talk about in some of the episodes, um, and it'd be it's great to be able to see a bit more see maps yeah. or see paintings or see images of the time it really helps you bring you in and even a few of the murders as well so yeah, sorry, assassinations yeah. so welcome to the cloak and dagger podcast okay so right. today we will be talking about um they were known as the nizari ishmali sect or also known as the assassins to us also known as the hashashin as well uh, depending on who you're talking to and we'll come to that later why they're called that um as we go along um but essentially we're talking th- these this sex was a very successful cult for want of a better word <laughs> and to make it even more 
brutal that they were a death cult really because they would obviously commit assassinations on behalf of their leader so it's kind of a pretty more, more than most cults are death cults this is a particularly high death rate yeah. cult uh, yeah exactly a very successful one as well mm. so um just to put it in perspective where we're talking about is modern day um israel egypt palestine gaza and syria that's kind of encapsulates most of where we're talking about and we're and we're going back at almost a thousand years to around 1140 through to about 1270 so that's kind of the period of time those 130 years were sort of the the sort of golden age of this of the of the assassins peak crusade time as well exactly well said patrick so the game the assassin's creed the first game if i'm sure many of our listeners have played it is is set during the third crusade in 1191 so that's kind of like 50 years into the golden age so you're really hitting your stride if you're an assassin um in this time period now these guys they were they were quite indiscriminate with who they killed as long it was more down to the threat that they posed to to the actual assassins themselves so they would kill sunni they would kill shiite and they would kill um crusaders as well so they they didn't take as opposed to just you know Islamic warriors defending Islam they were defending themselves and their their group and their fortresses and their people yeah exactly and actually long before the crusaders even turned up they were already active in this area especially in Syria so they actually started out as a hill tribe and um, they then managed to expand their favorite places a bit like in the game which is um, where the assassins live in the game is called Masyaf and that actually does exist and still exists today. And it was owned by them. But this is just one of maybe as many as 70 hilltop fortresses which they owned, which kind of spanned thousands of miles from sort of sort of southern Syria all the way through down to Jerusalem. They had all sorts of, um, of strongholds, which mm. made them a really difficult um, sect to actually control because they were all the way up in the hills. They had very good support from their locals. And so no one wanted to give them up. And it's very difficult to take them out because they were very good at what they did. And they're not really, it's not like a state. They're not really a country. They are just these collection of fortresses. They're not really, you know, they, they haven't become an entire country on their own. No, I don't think we could ever say they actually formed a state of any sort. But yeah. they all followed the same tenets of the Assassin's Creed order, if you like. Which, are, um, which aren't actually the same as what are in the games because no, they're no. a bit more insane and a bit harder to be the protagonists in a game if the if you listen to them. Yeah, exactly. But let's focus straight into the sort of um, the history within the game. So um, let's start with Masyaf the place. So Masyaf was taken by away from the local Mamluk uh, warlord who was controlling it for the empire of the Ayyubids who were. If you've ever heard of Saladin, that was the Ayyubid tribe that were controlling that that part of the world at the time. So they ambushed and killed the commander of the fortress, a man named Banu Mundik, no, Munkid. And uh, and then they took the fortress, and this was in 1140. So that's kind of the advent of this of this sect in, this, in, in the area and the beginning of our story, because Masyaf became a sort of capital of all of the hill fortresses. Right. Um, so they were kind of in and around before then but then their taking of Masyaf was a big first step to yeah. being this terrifying death cult yeah 
absolutely. And um, so Masyaf was uh, a very strong fortress, and you can see it, and we'll put it up on our Instagram page as well, what it would have looked like and what it looks like today, with a little bit of Assassin's Creed concept art in there too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, uh, they controlled the local villages as well, which meant that they always had a steady uh, flow of food and resources and also uh, novices that they could induct into their, into their cult. I shouldn't call it cult. Into the Assassin's Creed. I'm just going to call it the Assassin's Creed. It's okay. Assassin's, yeah. Okay. Um, it's kind of a so, cult. I mean, <laughs> I know, but I feel bad because cults kind of get a bad name. I guess they I, probably deserve their bad name. Yeah. I don't. I also don't think. I, I'm assuming that they're not really around anymore. If I mean, if you believe the games, they are. But no, 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 no. They are. Nizari Ishmaeli. The Nizari Ishmaeli sect still exists, but they don't kill people anymore. Wow, well, this this has put a dark turn on this podcast. I'm now slightly worried about what we're going to say. No, the Aga Khan is the head of their um, sect, and the Aga Khan is a very famous man. He's a, a religious man. Wow. Uh, so, well, yeah. I'm all all for them there. Yeah, I agree. Not cult, just <laughs> just great people. Um, but no, yeah. So they uh, so that they, they controlled Masia from 1140 through to 1270. Um, so they were there a long time and they couldn't get moved. And when you think of how big these forces like, were during the crusading mm. period, they still couldn't extricate them. So they were really tricky to get rid of, if you like. Um, but let's just, um, if we just move on to sort of what they believed in, this is what was so clever about how they were set up. They, they believed entirely in the idea that their, that their master was... God's anointed and Muhammad's anointed representative on earth. Like their Pope. Yeah, like their Pope. And if the Pope, I don't know much about the Pope ordering killings, but if the Pope <laughs> ordered you to kill someone and you would do it, otherwise you could. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would be You don't want to say no to the Pope. That's so kind of your journey point. into heaven from a Catholic yeah. point of view, of doing what the Pope asks. Yeah. So there, there was a very strong belief at the core of this cult that they were they they would believe in their in their master and their master during the games is called Al Mualim which I'm sure many of you remember mm -hmm. uh, but Al Mualim actually means teacher in Arabic so uh, oh. it's actually not a name it's actually just a sort of uh, it's like saying teacher um, but the man himself was a man known as Rashid Ad Din Sinan which I've probably just butchered sorry about that but he was also known as the old man of the mountain by the, the Franks, so all the Crusaders would know them as Old Man of the Mountain. And the reason was was that all the hill forts were in the mountains, so he was he was sort of, you know... The old man, ruler of all those crazy death cultists, I mean, great religious people in the mountains, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And th they were really pretty powerful um, in their belief because it wasn't just that they believed that uh, their master would tell them what to do and they'd go and do it. In the initiation period, that's where everything uh, lies in terms of their beliefs. So what would happen is, if you were a young novice, they'd normally take them at around 14 or 15 years old, from what we know, and they were always men, and they would be taken to a fortress like Masyaf, and they would be conducted through various trials to see if they were worthy enough to join. Uh, and it's quite hard to know how much is to be believed, but the source on this is actually Marco Polo himself, which is quite interesting. Yeah, but uh, Marco Polo did make a few things up. I mean, if you're the only one traveling the entire world at the time, uh, who's going to verify? Kind of got a monopoly on all the stories, yeah. Yeah, but 
But um, the most interesting part of that, though, is that uh, where they get the name Hashashin, it's where we get the word Hashish these days, and yeah. Assassin, um, is that within the initiation, they will be shown, and I put shown in quotation marks, they were shown heaven. Right. So part of the belief system, as I said, was that the Pope, they were like, they had their own Pope who would tell them what to do. And he uh, would drug, they would they would essentially be drugged, these, uh, these novices would be drugged and taken to the pleasure gardens in these fortresses. And within these pleasure gardens were topless or completely naked local women and they would um they would walk around this this pleasure garden in a sort of haze because they basically with opioids and with uh marijuana what they would get high accidentally it would be a passive high they wouldn't literally be toking on a joint mm. but it would be put into the incense at the rituals and they'd walk around in this sort of fog and see all these naked women and it, uh, they had to be celibate uh, they were all unmarried Whoa. men. So suddenly you've got these these young men who are seeing naked women for the first time, probably. Yeah. And they are allowed to drink wine and they might have sex with some of these women. And then they would think it was all a dream because they then get knocked out either by the drugs or or just pass out for other reasons. Yeah. From the, the wine, maybe. And then they'd wake up again in their beds and they'd be told that they would have seen what they would get if they did as they were told. Wow. Uh, and, so yeah. it's proper indoctrination and kind of like... Although, I'd say that that is what they imagined heaven would be like. They're just sort of doing a bit of uh, lying just to kind of prove this is where the, how yeah. you can get into heaven and this is what it will be like. It's fascinating, don't you think? Because certainly back then, today, much more people are cynical about religion and atheist, agnostic, very, very mm. much in Western culture. Um, but back then, especially, you believed exactly in the tenets of your of your order mm. or your sect. So to be told that you've just seen heaven, you you don't have any other education to sort of you can't dismiss it out of hand. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. they would have believed it. And, and even those thought, who people who could dismiss it out of hand have been they've been drugged and they've been thrown into this area which they have no experience in presumably. Yeah. Wow, that's insane. And when when you have never tasted alcohol before, never come across drugs before, and never seen um, women naked before, all of which like, is sort of outlawed yeah, by the nice. by the tenets of their religion for those for for mortal people. Yeah. Wow. And so to have all three thrown at you. So they believed that um, if they died for the cult, then they would have this in heaven. If they did as they were told and they killed or they would just be killed on command, then they would get this um, in the next life. So wow. it's a very potent belief system. It's a very persuasive got. offer. It's a great way to induct people. Yeah. Exactly. And I assume this would be at the end of their trials once they've proven they can be an assassin. You know, this isn't this isn't the the starting pitch to bring people in. It's... Once they've checked to see this is the sort of person we want with us, it's yeah. almost like a reward at the end of. I think it was at the, the last end of the trials. Yeah, um, of it, and it's quite interesting because um, this devotion to the master was um, seen. It was actually um, credited to be seen by Frankish commanders who tried to uh, besiege Masyaf, a little bit like in the game, actually. Um, which we'll talk about later. But um, one man, Count Henry of Champagne, uh, was returning from Armenia, and uh, this was in the late 1100s. 
and he comes across and uh, this old man of the mountain and at one of his castles known as al kaf which is in syria and he pointed out henry points out that his army is so much bigger that um than than the masters that he should pay him an annual tribute and this is quite a common thing to do um in medieval society if you had a build a big army, army yeah and you just yeah. convince everyone to pay you unless you invade exactly exactly yeah. so he he said this to to this man um sinan and sinan refuses and says that although uh, the army is much larger than his own his army is far stronger in their belief and their unwavering loyalty to to him and so he invited henry to witness this obedience by sacrificing um i think it was two he basically he signals from the top of his battlements uh, of, on top of the high wall of the castle he told one of his men to jump off which would you couldn't live after that you know you, you were definitely going to die not um, even if there's a bale of hay at the bottom well exactly and and they were meant to have um shouted out uh, god is great which i believe is allah and then they would jump headlong to their death and i think he did it twice and that made such an impact on henry of champagne that he marched his armies away and what's wow, interesting he backed about off that, yeah backed off and the interesting thing about that is they realized that it it would spread fear because mm. that's the game if you can have such a fearful reputation then you don't actually have to you know prove it every time scaring people is is more cost effective than beating them in battle yeah yeah wow um and that is where the eagle dive is taken from for the games because the game does i think show that there's when they come in except in theory you survive the jump and which is a ridiculous thought that you could survive a jump from that high but in reality yeah. they did commit suicide yeah on command yeah. to prove and from their point of view they're about to go head to that amazing opium induced sex party that they've been shown years <laughs> earlier when Which they joined they up. may well have. We don't know. We don't That's know. a very good point. Yeah, yeah, we're being doubtful. We don't know. We don't know any more than they did. So, no. Wow. I so, mean, that is extraordinary lengths to convince people to stay in and to scare people off. So it's all, it's all very psychological warfare. For all the you know stabbing they do, it's all very mind focused. And I oh, think it's, that it's, the, the 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 masters of the sect were very very intelligent men. Yes, and they and they knew how to um, bend minds to their will. It's a very interesting period because also you've got lots of big hitters in terms of um, big personalities. You've got people uh, like Saladin, who was mm -hmm. the head of the Ayyubids, uh, defending the Middle East from the invading kings of Europe. So you've got Richard the Lionheart, you've got uh, Saint Louis of France, you've got um, Edward the First, Edward Longshanks. He fought in the in the holy wars as well so and all these um people came into contact with the assassin's order so they were very much a very important part of the of the dynamic because they wouldn't take a side so there was always uh, they didn't know where they would sit in the politics of it all so everyone was scared of them they were this Actually, kind of third wouldn't. this third party this boogeyman that everyone was afraid of yeah exactly so actually saladin himself uh considered destroying this annoying little thorn in his side once <laughs> and for all um, and woke up one morning to find a note on his bed through a dagger through it literally through one of his pillows with the note saying please kindly fuck off <laughs> signed <laughs> uh, Rashid Adnan Adid Sinan um, wow, power and move was, 
and but honestly, it worked. Saladin again, made again, that's that's psychological. It's not. I mean, if they just killed him, there'll probably be more problems for them. So instead, they they send a message. They show how powerful they are. It's about fear. That's yeah, amazing. Exactly. So they really, they really are all about scaring people away and using their their position as this strange cult in the mountains to to keep themselves safe. Which is, yeah, you know. It's a bit crazy, but I suppose it does avoid as much bloodshed. I mean, they're not in. I mean, when you compare them to the honest, you know, honourable kings and leaders um, during the Crusades, who are getting thousands and thousands of people slaughtered, you have this cult, this death cult, who are actually killing a lot fewer people and having the same effect. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's it's sort of mind over matter. Do you go for the the targeted strike, or do you just throw brute force at a problem? And uh, yeah. there's just two very different opposing uh, ways of getting around it, you know. Um, let's now look at some of the most important sort of uh, assassinations that they committed over the years. Okay. Uh, what the, the the original one is very interesting because this happened in 14th of October 1092. Still, man... still weird hearing the saying October in 1092. I don't know why it just sounds odd to hear <laughs> a specific date that long ago. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, actually. Like it's, I, it's, I know what you mean. It's nearly Halloween. I mean, you know. I know, yeah. <laughs> in, getting all in 1092, their, yeah. All their outfits ready, the costumes. Well, that's actually quite, that fits in quite well, actually, because the man who they <laughs> killed was a man called Nizam al-Mulk, and he was assassinated en route um, to Baghdad from a place called Isfahan. And uh, the mainstream literature tells us that he was stabbed by the dagger of a member of the assassins and was sent by uh, the notorious Hassan-e-Saba, who was um, the old man of the mountain before the old man of the mountain, if you like. He was like an OG. And and the thing is, to make it... it, This assassination has so much description, it it really paints a picture. So he was escorting his wife um, down to Baghdad, and he was being carried on his litter, so a bit like oh. you know how they they raise up the chair and they yes yeah carrying them. super you know wealthy citizen you kind of as soon as you see that I feel like in any game or TV show or anything you immediately don't like that person as much yeah it's a proper sort of symbol a status symbol isn't yes it? so how on earth do you get close to someone like that because he would have been surrounded by his retinue he was quite an important man and uh, so the the way they did it. The guy who, the assassin who killed him, was disguised as a dervish or holy man. So oh. you know, in the games where they you can hide within the holy men. And I do know them. in the games when you hide like the holy man. That is like that was that was that's one of the early things in like the trailers of that game as well. Yeah, it's a big part of that game. Wow, exactly. Well, this might have been where they got it from, but uh, he wouldn't have looked white and cloaked like that. He probably would have looked more. Um, how do I put it? Uh, like a hermit, so mm, would mm. have looked a bit strange. Probably. But but holy men were were could walk with impunity because they were considered holy. You didn't want to upset God by, you know, you should be a rewarding. You know, you would probably if you were passing in the street, you would give them money because you wanted mm. them to sort of give you assurance with heaven. They had a position of authority even without <laughs> even without being carried by in a litter. They still had this sort of yeah this reverence so, around them. What, but to use that sort of fiendish idea of, okay, we're going to use that one kind of person who the guards would move aside for, and I'm, you know what I mean, to get in close enough to, to, to kill him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, but they, as I said, they didn't just kill um, 
Muslims. They also killed uh, Franks as well. Franks are names for Europeans back then. Um, oh, everyone, oh, okay. A, a Frank is just a European. So uh, mm. to go on to the, another kill, uh, Raymond II of Tripoli uh, in 1152 was assassinated. And he was a very important man. He was uh, traveling, on, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he was escorting his wife and her sister to uh, from Tripoli to Jerusalem. So quite a long journey. And a little bit like before, uh, they were ambushed. So it always seems to be on the road to somewhere because it's easier to get at someone if they're in a remote Absolutely. landscape. Uh, but this man... <laughs> very very unlike the games when everything's yeah. done in the city. So, But but unlike the, uh, the first kill, Raymond isn't stupid. He knows that the roads are dangerous. So he has two knights who are prepared for an ambush with him. And mm-hmm. uh, he was, uh, as I say, he was assassinated through an ambush by the assassins who killed him and his two knights and also the women. So they just wow. butchered the whole party. So would this and, been a group of assassins, not just a single lone yeah. assassin? Yeah, it's like a Absolutely. It's a bit more of a it's a bit more of a raid on the road as opposed to a a focused assassination. Yeah, but I guess to, instead of it, the thing that defines them from let's say freedom fighters is that this mm. was a targeted strike. Yes. They knew how important Raymond II of Tripoli was. Um, I guess one of the last ones we could do is Philip de Montfort, who was the Lord of Tyre, which was one of the key cities. Uh, it was a port um, in right on the border with uh, Jer- uh, near Jerusalem. And Philip was a powerful ruler, and he was actually quite an old man at the time. This happened in the later period. It was in 17th of March, 1270. And uh, he, was, uh, he was murdered in the street. In, in, the, in the city, mm, which is yeah. a lot more similar to the games. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and so, do we do we have an idea of the reasons they were targeting people, or was it just sort of leaders and their it, it, internal politics at the time? Well, a bit like you know when I mentioned Henry of Champagne turns up at the door of, of yes Masiaf or and says, or not Masiaf, one of the other ones, and and says, give me some tribute. They, these uh, other ones would have done the same thing, or there would have been a, a sort of existential threat from right. these men, and. And that would have been the reason why... These are all people who had perhaps expressed interest in dealing with these assassins. Yeah. And so it's, it's a... It's a preemptive, preemptive strike. Preemptive strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a preemptive strike against these men who could be who could be a threat to them. Or they might have been doing it on behalf of people. So we, we do know that... Uh, ah, various... so they may have been hired assassins as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you've got to do... The thing about them is they're, they're grafters. They know that they're <laughs> the, the minnow in a big ocean so they make the deals and they get round any way they can and they're very very good at it for a really long period of time when you think about it mm. yeah wow, that is it's it's such it's such a crazy time it's such an interesting time in history this huge war i mean the whole area is just a war zone and unfortunately continue to be a war zone for many years on but it's at that time it's just these huge nations clashing together and they're this group who are kind of it's sort of that third party they can kind of be smaller than the other groups because neither side would want to annoy them so much that the their opposition can gain them because i imagine that there'd be you know people the crusaders would probably see them as like another islamic just, group just yeah. another islamic group. they probably wouldn't be aware that actually they are also opposing saladin and and everyone well you do wonder don't you you wonder how much they there would have been talk about them between the different sides you know, I mean, yeah. I imagine after being there for a while, 
because the thing is, it's not that the Franks just turned up and didn't talk to the locals. Because the, the reason they were there in the first place was for the local Christian population who were Middle yes. Eastern. So they would have heard the stories through them, I reckon. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> but what's, uh, as you say, it's a fascinating time of, of history because you've got Europeans, you've got, um, you've got the, the Syrian peoples, and you've got Egyptians who are involved. And then you have the Mongols as well. So it's, it's, it's such a melting pot of different civilizations that are clashing together. And you've just got to weather the storm. And as something that I think we'll find in a future episode as well, it's these sorts of areas with these huge, these huge like tectonic shifts going on in the political landscape is where assassinations are primed to take place, and where groups like this, you know, you don't, you wouldn't, they wouldn't, we wouldn't know who they were if these huge events weren't going on. They would have been a bit more yeah. peaceful, you know, without these huge armies looking for people to fight. You don't need to attack these people, and they no. were fighting each other, but. They could see this this group in the mountains who were a threat to all of them. Exactly, it's exactly. Nice. It's a really interesting. Uh, they've sort of in the chaos they forged this little. I wouldn't even call it kingdom, but sort of this uh, this sect, you know, just to mm. hold off everyone else. So yeah. Anyway, should we, we uh, have a look at? Well, I was just going to ask actually because I don't think I asked this. But do we know about a lot of their? tactics and like what what they would use to fight in would they is it like in the games where they would be lightly armored and be using knives or i mean i Absolutely. assume they don't have hidden blades and we think that's kind of a the hidden might blades. Be slightly <laughs> anachronistic um but, but i yes. yeah they would have been they're not i mean because the 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 attack of um, raymond of tripoli against his two knights but it is heavily armored knights perhaps against a much faster moving attackers in the sweltering heat of the Middle East, it's it's, well, it's this is the thing. They're, they're, they're from the area, so they know that heavy armor is just not in vogue because the Saracens don't use heavy armor, and uh, apart from very specialized units, uh, because of the heat, and also it slows you down. And these guys are ambushers; they're hidden, you know, knives in the dark kind of uh, attacks. They're not mm. full. They know that if they went up against a Frankish knight, they'd probably lose. You know, on an, an even. But if they can attack them on the road. Yeah, uh, with a surprise element in slightly greater numbers because they can't beat out the numbers, you know, in a straight-up battle. But people travelling across land with a smaller group of people. I mean, it's two. I mean, two fully, fully decked-out knights would be pretty formidable. But against a yeah. group who are running at them and after a day's travel in the heat, it's it would be very tricky, I think, because as you said, they, they would have been rapid. They would have been fast-moving, and they would know how to kill because. You know, they're literally that's what they do, and they know living. the terrain much better than yeah. these these foreigners who are used to pleasant French rolling hills, and now they're in this this desert, and these people yeah. know a lot better this rocky mountainous desert. Wow. And also, they they attack them on these long long marches, so they would have been exhausted in all that all that gear, you know. Mm. And also, there's no one who's going to help them because they're aliens in that in that. In that exactly. environment, so they, yeah, I would absolutely hate to have been in that sort of uh, uh, in that sort of position. Actually, mm. interestingly, uh, the Templars, who obviously in the games are the antagonists of the whole uh, of the whole game, they yeah. were set up in real life um, to protect pilgrims on the roads to the holy places, and this was because of yes, bandits, but also assassinations on the road. So yeah. they were there to escort, so that sort of thing wouldn't happen. 
because they would hopefully be able to to defend them or at least deter major assassinations. So these, so these, so so yeah, so there would have been there would have probably a hundred percent chance that there would have been assassins fighting Templars in the Holy Land at this time. As much Actually, as the ga- as yes. much as the game yeah. makes up, it is it is a hundred percent likely that you would have an assassin in light armor, possibly wearing you know a cool white hood, probably not, <laughs> and then fighting a Templar with a large red cross. Well, that's something definitely. similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's it, it it you know there's the, the continuation of Templars throughout history that the games push forward is perhaps a bit made up or a lot made up, but at least at this time you would have had that, and that is oh, that's so it's so Isn't strange, it? so interesting. But then there would have been because there are other the, the Templars aren't the only order of knights who are who are sent, or they the only ones really there to protect pilgrims. That's sort of their original USP, if you like. But you also <laughs> had you also yeah, had. Yeah. The Hospitallers, you had um, the Teutonic Knights, who were German. You also had the Knights of St. Thomas, which were British. You had the mm-hmm. Knights of St. Lazarus, who were lepers. There were uh, the Knights of Santiago. There were so many different ones. The Knights of Talavera. And there were these holy knights, all um, given the blessing of another holy man, the Pope. Yes. Given the same instruction, although not um, given the same inductions to the orders. No. Well, you know, you, you never know. But yes, I can see what you mean. But it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's a very they are they are almost two sides of the same coin. They are warriors ordained by their 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 gods speaker on earth to yeah. protect them. And it's it's you know the 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 reasons behind it. The the assassins are still perhaps attacking people who are threats to them and a threat to their people at least. They might be a slightly stranger cult. Um, and also willing to assassinate Islamic leaders as well, but they're still protecting their people in the same way that the those Order of Knights were as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's so, this, it's these these two groups who have a very similar background, fighting and and allying themselves. Although, well, I suppose that's the, that's the difference is that the Order of Knights are allied with the Crusading armies, whereas the yeah. assassins not so much with the with Saladin and the other. No, but they do Islamic eventually leaders. make a truce. So I. You know, at times, I just don't think that they were ever reliable allies. Let's put it that way. Yes. You know. Yeah. But yeah, they managed to uh, assassinate a lot of very important people that were that, that ranged from as early as 1092 is the first time that they they kind of pop up all the way through to mm. at least 1272, where they actually tried to murder King Edward the First of England, uh, and that's really wow. Thing. Yeah, Edward Longshanks. So, Edward of Longshanks. Braveheart fame. Exactly, of Braveheart <laughs> fame. So this is this was happening in June 1272. So we're talking about the very end of the era right. of assassins. And uh, Edward I had come out on crusade and was actually being pretty effective and was gaining land, uh, gaining ground against the Muslims. Uh, and uh, whilst he was, he retook the crusader city of Acre, which comes up in the games. And whilst he yes. was there, um, they're asleep in bed. And this seems to be a bit of a trend. They like to attack, obviously, at night makes most sense because everyone's tired, who's on duty, and obviously the, mm-hmm. the target is completely unsuspecting. I've played the games. Moving. It's a lot easier to sneak around at night, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so this spy um, had managed to sneak into the room and and was... and I, I'm going to take it straight from the source here. So this is according to the, uh, the account uh, made okay. by a man called the Templar of Tyre. And this is what happened next. So he's he's crept in. 
The Saracen met him and stabbed him on the hip with a dagger, making a deep, dangerous wound. The Lord Edward felt himself struck, and he struck the Saracen a blow with his fist on the temple, which knocked him senseless to the ground for a moment. Then the Lord Edward caught up a dagger from the table, which was in the chamber, and stabbed the Saracen in the head and killed him. My so, God, what a what a reversal! That's amazing. I know. Can you imagine King Edward's in bed, probably not wearing that much, you know, definitely no armor or anything. His wife sleeping next to him. This hmm. assassin, for some reason, he must have been disturbed or something by by movement or something. Like he stabs him in the hip, which is such a strange place to stab. Hmm. And then Edward gets up in his night clothes, smashes the guy in the head, picks up a knife, and ends ends the assassin's life. Um, oh God, what a! Yeah, I mean, I mean that is that is. I mean, I I can only imagine that. Also, it is an account from a Templar and a Christian, so maybe not a hundred percent accurate. But still, I mean, he. I mean, we know that he survived because yeah. then he goes back and and you know and, and... <laughs> fights Mel Gibson. So yeah, exactly. we know he's. So we know he's okay. But that is an extraordinary tale. Oh wow! I know. And this, I would... is, and this is and this is in this is in um, the Holy Land. This is while he's. Out in on Acre. Yeah. yeah, in Acre. And the oh. thing is about it is it actually shows also that, that it's the waning of the power of these of these assassins. Mm, this is the they, end. They didn't kill. And it, this wasn't meant to send a message. This was meant to be a death. This was a, an assigned assassination. Yeah, it's yeah, they didn't they didn't try to go for the same thing as as they did with Saladin. Saladin. By putting they, a by putting a knife next to his bed. Maybe that's what he was trying to do and accidentally hit his hip. He was trying to like leave it in the bed as a cool thing, and he accidentally hit the king. Because yeah, you're right. Why would you go for the hip or the? It's not. A, it's not a very good assassin, I believe here. So no, it's not, is it? It's not. So uh, let's move on now to the next part. So I'd say the most interesting end to this story is uh, the Mongols, who people probably don't associate with the Crusades, mm. actually make an appearance towards the end of this period. So in the 1250s onwards where they have crushed um, Persia to the east of the Middle East, if you like. Yes. And then they start encroaching on on the Middle East, onto the Holy Land, where there's a fight going on between the Crusaders of Europe and the Ayyubids of, of the area. <laughs> so there's suddenly a third faction who's come into the mix. and so, But the Mongols realise quite quickly that they don't like this assassin sect just sitting up in the mountains and unlike i'm not trying to de- um, to sort of be too horrible to either the ubids or the franks but they just didn't care enough to go up and kill them or maybe they were so scared by the mm. by all the maybe the uh, murders the fear tactics had worked i mean they they certainly tried hard to scare both sides so yeah but and the it's, mongols, it's harder yeah. to scare the mongols <laughs> This is the thing. The Mongols couldn't yeah. give two shits. They just yeah. see them as a as a threat, and so they sent ten thousand men, which is one fifth wow. of the entire army that they'd come to um, to the area with, to go up and crush um, the the sect up up in the uh, up in the mountains. This wow. started in twelve fifty three and lasted three years. It was a three year campaign just against this tiny little. Um, sect up in the mountain. I mean they are they are well fortified and it's mountainous terrain, good yeah. defences, high walls, that's it could last forever but, against but you know an what? army. So the reason why they launched this campaign was actually from a provocation from the assassins. Oh, so the see. assassins Assassins in, bad leadership, bad 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 tactics now. 
I know. Well, no, no. To be fair to the assassins, the first thing the assassins do when the Mongols turn up is they send a delegation to Karakorum, which is where the uh, was the Mongol capital at the time, to ask to pay homage to the Khan. And the wow. Khan just basically wasn't impressed, hadn't heard of them, and told them to get lost. Basically. Wow. Which is um, unlike how they've reacted to any of the other leaders around them. Yeah, exactly. Of course, this is coming towards the end of their power, so they're probably looking to make alliances more than they're looking to... You know, the fear factor isn't going to help. They notice that in the Mongols. Mm. Uh, Anyway, so they're they're dismissed, and this is obviously quite a rude tactic by the Mongols. (laughs) Not surprised, it's the Mongols. But um, So then what they do is, apparently, and we get this from an eyewitness source um, called William of Rubrook, who was in Karakorum in 1253. 40, yes, 4-0, 40 assassins tried to kill the Khan, Monke Khan, at the capital in what? his palace. Yeah. 40 now, assassins? Yeah, 40 assassins were sent, and um, the security was stepped up massively, and I don't think they even got close. But they were that, um, what's the word, arrogant? Or self-assured <laughs> that they thought they could take out the Khan of, I mean, that is... So I mean, say, you say self-assured, they'd... They'd got within striking distance to the King of England and the leader and Saladin. It doesn't seem like that. I mean, it feels like, and with but, 40 of them. But the thing is, those two places are quite small. The Khan ruled China, Mongolia, most of Persia. We're talking about good, po- the good point. This yeah. is like taking out the, the biggest player on earth at the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, this is sort of so fascinating. So, as a result, uh, this 10,000 strong force. The 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 uh, we're pretty sure they were Tajik, which is from Tajikistan. The Tajiks were the ones assigned to do this, and they lost lots of men in the process. But they eventually managed to burn out most of the uh, fortresses, including Masyaf. And um, as a result, the rest of them spread all across. The rest of the assassins spread across the kingdoms. They dispersed, and they never really regained their regained their their power ever again. Wow. Uh, but they did survive. They still go today. So as I say, they're, they're, still, they're still going today. But as as yeah. a as a sect of Islam, as opposed to a group of assassins. Yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. would always say that they were a sect of Islam. It's just that they didn't. Uh, <laughs> they were slightly more bloodthirsty than. <laughs> we're the just looking at them from the assassin point of view. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that yeah, is that is extraordinary. So all their clever tactics, all their fear tactics, all their death cult and their assassin abilities comes up short against the 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 largest is it like the largest continuous empire i think it is yeah not in history yeah yeah in history yeah yeah so fair enough which which fair enough yeah if if you're gonna go out i mean if you're gonna lose to someone the mongols are you know you you, no one's gonna look down on you for losing to the mongols so exactly and they you know they held their own for over a hundred years against at the ayubids and the crusading forces as well so pretty pretty good effort, I think, overall. That is, that is extraordinary, yeah. So, should we now move on to talking a bit about what the game's got right and wrong? Yeah, so uh, the game came out in 2007, I think. So I think it's just a fantastic game. And I yeah, think we're both huge fans. I know that a lot of people have issues with it, of it being repetitive and stuff. And this isn't, we're not going to devolve into a gaming podcast, although I both, I think we both could talk about games for oh, we could. just as long as we could about history. But yeah, we wanted to take a look and see what was different about it and what they got right and what they got wrong. And, you know, they're not too bad, I think. 
they certainly get the broad no, strokes they right, the and they right. they they get they get they, you know they they haven't completely made everything up. They've maybe skirted around the truth a bit, but you know yeah. they are game developers. They're not really. They're not. They're, this isn't historical. This isn't a piece of historical writing. No, yeah. it, it's not like a documentary. But having said that, I think whoever did the history research on this did a pretty good job. I mean, honestly, most of the things that they they that you uh, play in the game did happen. So the places like Acre exist, obviously Jerusalem and Damascus. They were all. Uh, you know, they were real places, obviously, and they were held at the right time in 1191 when the game is set. And they had Saladin in the game, and they have Richard the Lionheart in the game, who were both mm. there. So I think that's a pretty good start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it'd be strange if they got a lot of that wrong and they just made up parts of history. But it's nice. I think that's what we both actually found really interesting about the game is I did feel like I learnt a lot about the Crusades and the and the world because you can sometimes learn it a bit from a Western point of view and you just learn about the Western kings who went over. You don't really learn about any anyone on the other side. And although this game doesn't dive too no. much into that, it certainly kind of shows them both moderately equally. I mean you spend as much time, if not more time, in Islamic cities as you do Yeah, there's what there's there's two Islamic there's... cities and only one Christian city. So Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting, it's a very did, interesting game. I do like how at the beginning it says this game. They have to put the proviso out that this game was made by people with multiple different faiths, and so they're not like attacking either because it's a very conscientious, it's a very contentious topic, especially in like the early noughties when you've had, you know, I mean, in two thousand and seven, you you've got the Afghanistan war going on, the Iraq war I think is still going on just about mm-hmm. or might have just ended. And you know it's post nine eleven, so it's, to be talking about this stuff, and, and it's essentially a terrorist it's organization. An ex- it is an extraordinary thing that you are playing a. And although we both complain about the fact that the the main character, the main protagonist, is given an American accent, which is oh, a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Indeed. But the, I mean, he is uh, ignoring that, one? and perhaps this is why they gave it to him because if they gave him a a proper accent. It would have been very clear that this is a, one of the first protagonists in a video game where the protagonist is Islamic, because there's no doubt that they would have been Islamic. They they don't really lean into it in the games, but they are a sect of Islam who are attacking Christians and killing yeah. Christians. And so it's remarkable that this game didn't come under fire, and perhaps it was because they gave the main character an American accent, so you sort of saw him as American, even though he yeah. is definitely not. Altair is the furthest thing from a from a American name, and then yeah. that is also perhaps why they added the slightly stranger animus. It's all set in present day, looking back at history, and actually, you're actually playing Desmond, who is an American, and so you can kind of skirt around the edges. But that's what I always thought when I was playing it. I kind of thought I discounted the American accent because I always thought that Desmond Miles was just Altair. So I was just like, oh, it's obviously in his brain. He thinks he would have sounded American. Because yeah, I mean, they're all speaking English. They're not speaking. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, they're not speaking the actual language they should be speaking. And I think they probably explain that away in the game. So, but if they had, and if they had leaned into it, as I think a lot of people, I think we would have liked at the time if they just set it in that time period. They gave them proper accents. It may have been a bit too controversial, and actually would have come under fire. And that's perhaps yeah. why they've kept it. And actually, it kind of gives them a free pass. Because they're, you're always viewing it as history. You're not playing history. You are just viewing it from a modern day look, albeit through a weird science, looking back at your ancestors' DNA or whatever they explain uh, it as. 
is your physics uh, brain going, no, 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 can't do that. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably biologists who absolutely hate that game and the description it gives of, you know, you have your all of your works. you have all your ancestors' memories in your DNA, which God, if that yeah. was true. It'd be very cool if it was true, but um, I also think it would be a lot boring for most of us because most of us, you know, it's it's like there's um, <laughs> yeah. the the people who predict who, you know, they tell you who was in your history and somehow everyone was related to George Washington or something like that or Elizabeth the first, you know, it's it's, it's yeah. remarkable that we all are, but but yeah, so they get yeah. so they get quite a lot right. Uh, do they get many of the targets right? So yes, they do. So of the nine victims, as you're sent out to kill nine of them. Uh, five of them actually did exist, and a sixth one was based on someone who did. So that's pretty good going. It's pretty you know, good. They, they looked. They did. They did take from history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's oh. just start with the ones they got wrong. So the three who were entirely fictitious were all, um, unfortunately, the the sort of local Middle Eastern targets. Mm. It's a Western-made game, so fair enough. They got that wrong. But the, the the three that they got wrong was the first target was an arms dealer, and his name was just simply Tamir. So they didn't even bother. No full name. No. <laughs> so why not make that Nizam al-Mulk? He could have made it, you know, so easily. Uh, the guy on the litter from earlier. It's, yeah, it's, it is interesting that they choose not to take actual assassin, assassinations from their history. But I think that's probably my biggest uh, problem with the game. But, I mean, that's such an... That's just me being a historian. You know I mean? <laughs> um, the, the other two were Talal, again, just a random slaver chief. And the final one was Abu Abul Nukod, who I've definitely slaughtered that name, who was the fat merchant guy who tries to poison everyone. Um, right. So yeah, those three were completely made up. But apart from that, all the rest of them had some form of history around them. But as far as I can tell, not a single one was assassinated so they chose yeah. people who would have been there in 1191 but actually they didn't bother to they you know there was only so far they would have taken the research you know i mean it, there could have been a chance they didn't want to get it wrong and so if they if they choose people if they actively do if they actively choose targets who weren't killed then they won't they can't be proved wrong and say oh actually you did this wrong it's like well we've completely made this up you know it's it, if yeah, you deviate yeah. far enough you get less people Although not everyone, because we've made a podcast about it. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, like 13 years after it was released as well? Yes, I'm sure um, this, is, this is hard-hitting journalism right here. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to be listening to this and going, damn it, I wish we'd just made it slightly better. <laughs> oh, we didn't um, know about this guy, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, the ones they got right, the, the ones that sort of stand out, I think, are uh, Garnier de Nablus, who in the game I think is Garnier de Nablus. I think they just turned it to a P for some reason. But he was the demonic surgeon in Acker who's sort of like cutting off body parts in the hospital. Yes, I remember. Yeah. He was horrible. But he did <laughs> exist. Uh, and he was, as far as I know, he was the Grand Master of the Hospitaller Order um, at the time. Uh, but right. he wasn't assassinated. He he fought at the Battle of Surf, which is the last uh, battle in the game, and he died of his wounds there. So, he was wow. around but he didn't die from Altair's Blade. Well, that, that we know of. You know, that you never know. <laughs> Maybe he was on the battlefield. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, in the game, Altair is at the Battle of Arsuf, so you don't know how he is. He is. Actually, that's what I mean. Altair about. also isn't real, so. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Robert de Sable, the main bad guy, he was the Grand Master of the Knights Templar. 
yes. like he is in the games. And oh, he wow. did die near our surf, which in the game you assassinate him in our surf mm. at the battle. But he died two years after the battle, but he was, you know, that was pretty close. Yeah, getting it's, it right. it's not, not too far off, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so, so they get, yeah, so they can get some, some names right. And they got Masiaf right, and mm. they got Eagle Vision right. Now I'm only joking. <laughs> they <laughs> they really could see through walls, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they got the Eagle Dive right at the beginning. Where Ish, half right. They got the beginning of it right. Yeah, then they yeah. ended it with a... With, they, they got the ending wrong, yeah. It would have been a very short game if in the first... It would have been a very short game, yeah. <laughs> you just fall to your death, and that's the end. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the other... The other names on the list, uh, William of Montferrat, he did exist. Um, this one's I, so annoying, though, because they actually do, in real life, they do kill a Montferrat, but a different Montferrat, which is so strange, because they, they kill Conrad of Montferrat. Yeah, Conrad. Which is remarkable exactly. that they, they just, I mean, maybe they just decided to switch the name. Perhaps Conrad isn't the most interesting name and actually... They wanted to. They wanted and to William, find a bit more of a William. That sounds a bit more like a a, a noble crusader. from a, a noble crusader from Western Europe. Whereas Conrad, it's not quite as strong a name. Apologies for anyone mm. called Conrad, but uh, it's yeah. it, you know it's but it's it's so strange they just decided let's switch it over because presumably they may have been oh, it's of Montferrat, so neighbors, I guess. No, I, I'm pretty sure they're related. Oh, really? They're so the they should so, family. Yeah. So it's strange that they. They decided to go for a slightly different Montferrat, but they could have gone for the one they actually assassinated. Yeah, I, I don't know why they did that. It's a very strange one. Um, another mm. one they got right uh, was Jubair al-Hakim, who was one of the major scholars on the on the Third Crusade, but he didn't die uh, in the in the time period. He died in 1217 in Alexandria in Egypt, um, wow. having written up everything. He was best mates with Saladin, so he uh. accompanied Saladin on all the uh, all of his conquests for me i'd give it a solid eight and a half out of ten on on accuracy which is pretty good for a game which is almost as much as they need if if they try to get it to a 10 i don't think they i think it would either take them too long or they might suck a bit of the fun out of the game because they'd have to you know it's supposed you're supposed to be as you're taking on the targets it's supposed to be building intention if you know they go out of order, and some of them are you just as a group you just run onto the road and stab a knight and then run off. It's you know it's not quite as dramatic. It isn't, is it? And also you've got to imagine maybe that the historian who did all this work for them pr- presented it all to Ubisoft, and Ubisoft went, "Yeah, we like this bit and we like that mm. bit, but I'm not really sure." And they could probably just cut and pasted like bits of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I yeah. And I think, I yeah, I think this is a t- what we've looked at is a testament to the historians at Ubisoft or whoever they hired to do it that they did a they did a bloody good job, and they that maybe did. Ubisoft just decided to cut out bits and pieces they thought, you know, we don't need that. Conrad, no, that's not a bad guy named William de Montfort. There we go. Oh yeah, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah. And we can't have the Grand Master, the main enemy, die off screen a few years later. No, he's got to die in a battle at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, really yeah. good. Well, so that it, uh, that concludes our first episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. It does. Oh, this is very exciting. Well, we hope you liked it, and um, we're going to be doing more. We're going to be going back and forth between us. So next week is my week, and we will be journeying uh, kind of across the world to ancient India, to a very different time and a very different place. 
um, but still cool assassiny things. Although it's a bit more myths and legends, this one, as opposed to hard facts. Um, but hopefully it's just as interesting as this one was. Great. Looking forward to it. And um, guys, if you want to follow us, we are on Instagram at, at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, all one word. And you can also leave a review on whatever podcaster, whatever podcatcher that you have. Wherever you're listening to us. Yeah. And uh, please tell a friend. It really helps make the podcast uh, spread, doesn't it? Yeah. Tell, tell people, anyone else you know who really likes history or assassins or video games or just listening to two guys argue about stuff. But yeah, thank you very much. I think this has been really fun. It has, and tune in next time. Thank you. Tune in next time. Okay, I'll stop the recording.